1995 was a brutal summer in Chicago. A heat wave came through and shook the city. Seven days of consecutive temperatures of over 100 degrees. Chicago wasn't built for that kind of heat, not on a sustained basis. Some neighborhoods didn't have uh, air conditioners. Others did have air conditioners, but ran them so much that the, the power grid went down. The Chicago Tribune said it was a little bit like the city was roasting under a wet wool banquet. Your, 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 your body can handle heat to a certain extent, but then after 48 hours of heat exhaustion, your body starts to shut down. Organs start to fail. Coroners said that 465 Chicagoans died in that week. But that wasn't right. You see, the week later, they found the people who had lived alone, that had lived in apartments or, or houses by themselves, that they had died and no one knew. The only way they knew that anyone died is because their bodies began to decompose and the smell drifted outward so that eventually the coroner had to come back and revise the number. Really, it was over 700 people in Chicago died of that heat wave. The CDC descended upon the city to try to figure it out what, what people groups, what communities were, were, were most vulnerable. And they found the answers that you would expect. There were people who were elderly. There were people who with other health conditions that were more vulnerable. And they also said that oftentimes poverty contributed to death because people didn't have resources like air conditioners. There was a sociologist, a man named Eric Klinenberg, that still had questions after that report came out. He said, look, it's 2.8 million people live in that city. How in the world did over 300 people die and no one even knew until the following week? How does that happen? And so he uh, stayed and studied, he and his team, for years afterwards. And what they found is this, that people died because they didn't have relationships. They died because they were relationally disconnected. They went into the neighborhoods that were poor and that didn't have air conditionings, but some of those neighborhoods didn't report any deaths. And the reason they didn't is because friends checked on friends, because neighbors checked on neighbors, because they had wellness checks that would go around and give people the resources and the help that they needed. See, what they figured out is that it wasn't heat that killed people. It was they didn't have a friend. Yes, they needed an air conditioner, but more than an air conditioner, they needed someone who cared about them. So I want to talk to you about your friendships this morning. I, I, I want to, to talk to you about your friendships, but not the kind of people you know around town. I know you know lots of people. I want to talk to you about biblical friendships, the kind of friendships that are deep and substantive. Do you have those kind of close friends that come and check on you? Like the people in those neighborhoods checked on each other during that heat wave? If not, you know what you're called? Normal. Because sadly, many people don't. The U.S. don't have those kind of friends. The U.S. Surgeon General said that loneliness is becoming an epidemic where 40% or more of Americans say that any given time that they don't have close friends. And here's what's interesting. The more online people are, the more on the internet or on social media they are, the less likely they are to have close friends. 
which is ironic because social media and the internet was supposed to connect us to each other, but what it has ended up doing is separating us in ways that we didn't quite see coming. And because of that loneliness, because of that relational disconnection, because we don't have close friends, you see headlines like this. Dutch supermarket introduces unique slow checkout lane for lonely seniors who want to have a chat. Now, are you kidding me? Like when I go to this, it sounds like purgatory to me. When, when I go to the store, when you go to the store, what we're doing is our eyes are surveying up there, which lane, which lane's the quickest, which lane's the There's one checkout clerk at Schnooks who's about the nicest person. I intentionally don't go to his lane because he talks too much, right? And so I can't imagine that there are people out there who are looking and going, I'm going over here in this really long line and going really slow so I can chit chat with someone I don't know while they ring up my groceries. And yet, that's how lonely some people are. I mean, in one sense, it's funny. I'd never do it. In another sense, it's sad because people are so desperate for some sort of connection. There's a guy named Chuck McCarthy. He lives in L.A. Of course it's L.A. because he's a people walker, right? And, and he doesn't walk pets. He walks people. And people pay him and his team money to go on walks with them because they don't have any friends to do it. And so they just go and they talk and Chuck says mainly what his people do are they listen. Nobody has anybody to listen to him. Nobody that cares. There's a man in the Bronx who his brother was murdered in this park and every year on the anniversary he pays someone whose, whose job is a professional cuddler, a professional cuddler, pays them to sit in that park and hold his hands while they remember his brother's death. In Tokyo, you can rent a friend. And, and here's the shtick from the company that, that rents friends to you. With us, people can talk about their feelings without worrying what their real friends think. And you're like, well, I don't know. I think you might be missing something because I think real friends are who you want to share life with. Real friends do care what you're feeling. So what does all that tell us, that people go to these great lengths to have some sort of connection, that, that the people without close friends will do whatever they can to have some sort of relationship with someone, even if they have to pay them for it? Well, it tells us this very important biblical truth, that God did not design us to live alone. That God designed us very intentionally, very wisely, in his perfect wisdom, he designed us to want and need and thrive in the context of close relationships. In one of the most important verses in the Bible that talks about this issue of, our, of this need that we have comes in the opening chapters of the Bible. Now, in order to get how powerful this verse is and what it's saying, you have to realize that, that this is what is said before sin has entered the world. This is a sinless, perfect world where Adam lives in paradise. And this is what it says in Genesis chapter 2. The Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for Adam to be alone. It's not good for any person to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. What this verse teaches is something that might sound almost blasphemous to say, and yet it's right there in front of us, is that God is not enough. God is not enough. God designed you to need more than him. The very first time that something is wrong in the world, What's wrong? 
Well, a human being is living alone. And no person is created to live alone. Now, now again, I, I, I want to emphasize this is before sickness, before sin, before death. This is uh, Adam living in unhindered, perfect relationship with God. He's living in paradise. And yet something's not good because it's not enough. He, he was created for something more. So, so, so Genesis 2.18 should put to death for once and all time the idea that the Christian life is between me and God. Like, I don't need all that religion. I don't need other people. I don't need, I, it's just between me and God. It should put to death that I can live the Christian life without being in the context of a community, of a church. That's the way God designed it. That's where we thrive. All that other stuff about it's me and God, me alone, that is American, but it's not Christian. God made us to need others. God created you with that need. And while we're here in Genesis 2.18, can we just point out one more thing? Adam lived in paradise, but it wasn't good. Why? Because he was alone. See, I think there's a lot of us out here who are looking for our own little form of earthly paradise. We know it's not paradise, but per, you know, as close as we can get. And so we're thinking, well, if I could get a place with the right weather, if I could get the place with you know, maybe a good view, maybe it's the mountains, maybe it's the beach, whatever. If I could get the place with the right job, if I could get out of here, I want to go to a big town, a big city with experiences, restaurants, plays, shows. Or I want to get out in the country and be out on a farm and be alone and kind of have my, my space. Whatever it is, we're all looking for paradise and yet, can't we learn from Adam that that won't make us happy? Can't we learn from Adam that it's not what you're doing, the perfect job, it's not where you are, the perfect location. It's often the determining factor of whether you're happy or not is who you are with. Do you have close friends there? See, it might just cause some of us, some of us, because we're all trying to create the right world where we get the right circumstances, the right place. Maybe before we try to move on to find another job, to find the right city, to find the right beach, maybe we should just think, I better not leave my community. My friends are more important than that. But is it just that we crave friends? Is it just the Bible's command that we should live in community? Yes, but there's more. There's a certain kind of friend the Bible says it's important to have. And the first thing we see is it's important to have a friend that accepts us. Romans 15, 17 says, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. So our relationship to one another is modeled on our relationship with Jesus. How did he accept us? Did we have to get our act together? Did we have to get things figured out? No. No, it's kind of like walking onto a car lot and you're looking for a new car and maybe you're looking for a used car. And so you look and there it is. It says $10,000, a sticker on the, on the windshield, $10,000 as is. What's that mean, as is? It means that this is the car you get, warts and all. It's not new. It's got some problems, but you get it for that price. What we are looking for is friends who accept us as is. What we want to be is the kind of person who, who accepts other people as is. Because guess what? That's how Jesus accepted us. He accepted us as is. We can't do anything to fix ourselves up for him. 
No, he came and met us where we are and died to forgive us and pay for our sins. That's the kind of friend that we want. And as is friend. Now, look, we go, okay, I get that God accepts me as is, and I'm very, very thankful. But that's not the way the world works, right? The world doesn't work like God. So we know that. We got that figured out. So what do we do in response? We hide. What do we hide? Well, our sins, our fears, our anxieties, our faults, our flaws. We hide all of that from other people. And instead, what do we give them? Our best impression. But no one, not me, not you, not any of us, are as good as our best impression, right? None of us are. And so what happens is, is, is people get to know, or you get to know the real person. And you've got this decision to make. Do I want to be friends with, with an impression? Do I want to be friends with an image? Or am I going to be friends with a real person? As is. Flaws, sins, weaknesses, anxieties. And we're all kind of somewhat scared of that. So we put up these walls to hide behind so people won't know us because we're afraid that they will reject us. See, the only way that you develop as-is friends, the only way you take your current set of friends and go deeper is if you can have an atmosphere where it's safe to be transparent, where it's safe to be honest, that you know that you'll be accepted as Christ has accepted you, you won't be rejected. See, if you don't have that kind of atmosphere, then nobody is going to be transparent. Nobody's going to take down the walls. Nobody's going to be honest. There's a guy named Gary Inrig, author. He tells a story about a couple who lived on the East Coast. It's back during the 50s, and their son had been fighting in the Korean War. They hadn't talked to him for 10 months when the phone rings. And it turns out it's their son. He's in San Diego and he's coming home. Mom answered the phone and she is super excited to hear this news. And in all the excitement and yelling at her husband that their son is coming home, she hears her son say, Mom, I've got this buddy that I want to come home with me. He, he, he's torn up in, in the war. I mean, his body's torn up. He, he lost an arm. He lost an eye. He lost a, a leg. I want him to come live with us. And she's like, yeah, sure, absolutely. You can come stay with us for a while. Just come on. No, no, mom, no. No, I want him to come live with us. You see, mom, he doesn't really have anywhere to go. It's really hard on him right now. Well, of course, son. Like, just come and like stay six months and we'll just figure it out from there. No, no, mom. I want him to come and stay with us. He's only got one arm, one eye, one leg. I want him to come and live with us. And then somehow just in the emotion of it all and the surprise and being caught off guard, I think the mom got a little bit frustrated. Just like, well, what do you mean come live with us? I mean, this kid has a lot of problems. I mean, we're not gonna be equipped to handle all those problems. So yeah, you can come stay for a while, but you need to be a little more realistic. I mean, I get you're emotional. You just got back there and we'll do our best we can, but, but we don't have the time, the effort, the money. The, this kid's gonna end up being a bur- we, we just can't do that. Phone clicked. Kid had hung up. The next day, the, the couple on the East Coast got a telegram from the Department of Navy. It said their son had jumped out of the hospital building and killed himself. And when they went to his, get his body from the military base nearby them, they opened the coffin to see a boy with one arm, one eye, and one leg. 
See, when that son was asking about his friend, he was asking about himself. And what he was asking is, will you accept me as is? Or am I going to be a burden? Will you accept me warts and sins and faults and weaknesses? Is this a safe place for me to come and be? And that's a question that we are all asking. We all want that kind of acceptance, and it forms the basis for Christian community. The book of Proverbs says, a friend loves at all times. A friend loves you on your good days, on your bad days, on your happy and your sad, and of course, everything in between. Now, that doesn't mean that a friend approves of everything you do. It doesn't mean a friend loves all your choices. No, 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 just that your friend loves you as is, because that's the way God loves all of us. God loves us as is, so we love others in all of their weakness. See, it's not just, it's not just we want friends like that. We do, but it's not just that. It's that we need to be that kind of friend. So let me ask you, are you the kind of friend that you can, people can share things with? Are you, are you the kind of friend that people can be real and vulnerable and transparent with and you don't judge and criticize? Like they can share their sins and their faults and their weaknesses and, and their anxieties and all the things that they're struggling with and you don't jump on them. You don't condemn them. You don't hold it against them. You don't kind of try to fix them. You know, like, oh, I can solve that. It, sometimes people don't want to be fixed right then. They, they just want to process with someone. See, we've got to, 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 to commit to being that kind of friend. But it's more than just acceptance. The biblical idea of friendship is also that it would be filled with truth. Our friendships would be truth-filled relationships. Truth is reality. Truth is found in the Bible. Truth is incredibly challenging. We, we should always embrace truth. Never, never find yourself, you're always in a bad situation if you're pushing away, resisting, don't want to hear truth. That's always a bad sign. Book of Proverbs again. It says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. That verse is counterintuitive, isn't it? Because we think wounds or, or hurts or something, they, they come from enemies and kisses come from friends. But that's not what this says. Think about it for a second. When Judas betrayed Jesus, how did he do it? Oh uh, yeah, Judas betrayed Jesus with a kiss. We can betray our friends with a kiss. Imagine going into, take your car into uh, the mechanic. You know, you're just going to get the routine checkup on the car and uh, you come back the next day and he goes, man, you know a lot about cars. I mean, this car is in tip-top condition. I mean, things that no one has ever said to me. I know nothing about that stuff, right? But, but this car is in excellent shape. You've done a masterful job of taking care of it. And then a couple days later, you're trying to pump your brakes and they won't quite work right and you, you, you almost are, uh, collide with another car you find out that your car was out of brake fluid. So now you're furious. You go back in to the uh, mechanic. You say, why in the world did you tell me my car was in great condition when the brake fluid was about out? I almost died. I mean, what are you thinking? And the mechanic looks at you and says, this is a garage 
filled with love and acceptance. And we didn't want to hurt your feelings. We thought you might not come back if we told you the truth about your brake fluid. So we told you what you wanted to hear. Well, you'd be like, what in the world? I, when it comes to my car, I want the truth. Or you go to the doctor. The doctor for a routine checkup. Check me out, doc. And he goes, man, you are like an Olympic athlete. I mean, you are in just top physical form. And, and, and you, you go a couple days later, you're like, oh, I don't feel like that, but maybe I am. I guess the doctor said so. So you go a couple days later and your heart starts beating fast. And you come to find out you're like one jelly donut away from a heart attack because your arteries are so clogged. So you go back into the doc and you're like, doctor, why didn't you tell me that I was, uh, you know, uh, on the way to a heart attack? Why didn't you tell me my arteries were clogged? Well, we want this doctor's office to be known in town as an office of love and acceptance. We want people to feel safe coming here. We don't want to tell them things they don't want to hear. I mean, if we had told you the truth, you might not have come back. And you'd be furious. Because when it comes to your health, you want the truth. So when it comes to your car, you want the truth. When it comes to your health, you want the truth. But when it comes to your character, when it comes to your parenting, your choices, your marriage, your habits, your work ethic, do you want the truth then? Because a lot of us act like we don't want the truth in those areas. Maybe car, maybe health, but not in our personal life. Because when someone tries to tell us the truth, say something hard and challenging, something that we need to hear instead of listening and going, well, is there something I can learn from this, even if it's not all true? I bet some of it's true. And my, there's a friend is telling me this. I, they, they're doing it for my good. No, we don't do that. What do we do? We get defensive. Uh-uh. Not me. Or we turn it back on them. Right? I mean, imagine doing that with your mechanic. He goes, well, you need brake fluid. Well, how's your car doing? You know, or imagine that the doctor says, you've got to do some things about, well, you don't look like in such good condition either, doc. They're like, well, I'm just trying to tell you the truth. I don't want to hear. But that's what people do when they come and they talk to us about parenting or marriage or our words or how we're handling alcohol. What do we say? Well, what about you? And we do it to our own harm. We miss out on the truth that God has for us because we aren't willing to listen to a hard conversation. We aren't willing to have a hard conversation. Book of Hebrews puts it this way. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another. See, we need each other daily. We need each other daily in our lives as long as it's called today. Why? Well, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So sin is deceitful. Sin is deceptive. Sin is tricky. Sin lies to you. And you need other people in your life to help you see how you're being deceived by sin. I need it. You need it. We all need it. And that's why we need a community that accepts and tells the truth and says hard things. Who says hard things to you? Who challenges you with truth? Who speaks the truth and love to you? Now, if you're married, I'm not talking about your spouse. I know that's what you're going to say. And that's a cop-out. And I'm not super interested in giving you a cop-out this morning. It's okay if that's one person, but not the only person. So who says the hard thing? And if nobody says the hard thing, is that because you're fine? Like, you, sin is not bothering me. I have no problems. Or is it just because... You're not open. You're not willing to listen. You get defensive. You don't want the truth. 
We need people in our life. That's how God designed us to live. People who accept us and love us as is, but at the same time speak truth to us. Now, we don't just drift into those relationships. We don't just wake up one morning and, oh, I got them. They take time and effort and cultivation. But there's another kind of friend we need. And it's a friend that is there for us in hard times. Here are two friends. Uh, Ian is on the left, your left, and Debbie is on your right. Really good friends, live in Southern California. One of the things they love to do is go bike riding. And so they're at this wilderness park in California that they go riding in. And one day they were on, on a trail and, and, and Ann was up ahead of Debbie. Uh, kind of just wasn't her day. And so Ann was up ahead of her a little bit. Then Debbie started hearing screams. So she pedals as fast as she can. And when she gets to the place the screams are coming from, Ann is laying down and there's a off her bike and a mountain lion is on top of her what do you do? Debbie wasn't intimidated at that moment by that mountain lion. So she threw her bike at the mountain lion, but that didn't do much. She tried to throw some rocks, but the mountain lion starts to pick up Anne's head. And, and so Debbie grabs her feet. Anne's saying, I'm going to die. And Debbie says, no, you're not. I'm not letting go. A couple of guys were out riding bikes in the area. They heard the screams too. By the time they got there, that's the position they found them in. Anne, head in the mountain lion, and Debbie holding Anne's legs, saying that she would not let go. The guys, being a little bigger and stronger, were able to throw bigger rocks, scared the mountain lion away. And they told the press, the guys told the press after you know, the, the incident was over, she said, Debbie was fearless. She looked at that mountain lion, and she said, that's my friend. She's coming home with me. See, we need mountain lion friends. We need mountain lion friends. Proverbs says, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We need a friend who, when when the problems come, won't let go. I don't know what the problem is. Is it alcohol? Is it anxiety? Is it depression? Is it just bad choices? Is it a hard heart? Is it drifting away from church? I don't know. There's a lot of mountain lions out there trying to eat you and me. But, but we need a mountain lion friend who sticks closer than a brother. That's who Jesus is for us. Jesus is the friend who accepts us as is and went to the cross to pay for our sin. Jesus is the friend that tells us the truth, even when we don't want to hear it, when it's incredibly challenging and it goes against what we want, our desire. Jesus tells us the truth. And he is the mountain lion friend who does not let go. But but it doesn't come. Those kind of friendships don't come just by accident. So here's what we're doing today. This, we're starting Esther next week, but today is my attempt to cajole, beg, plead, bribe, whatever, to get you to join a community here at The Crossing where these kind of friendships can develop. So on the seat backs, there's a QR code. If you click that QR code with your camera's phone, it'll take you to a list, just a little, little web page, small groups, 20s, Veritas, single moms, men, women, all there. How do, how do I get involved? How do I get these kind of friends? Well, it starts by getting connected in those kinds of communities. There's a small group preview today at four o'clock. You can do that. Now, look, I know you're going, hey, that's, I'm busy. I'm busy for, I'm a busy life. This isn't a good season for me to be in a group and stop. Let, 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 me, let me say this. What if I gave you a thousand dollars? Well, 
inflation, $2,000. What if, I, so you can buy some eggs, $2,000. <laughs> what if I gave you $2,000 and just said, here, if you'll join one of these communities, put your QR code, hit the QR code, join one of these communities, and just say it till May, just before the summer, and just give it a shot. I'll give you $2,000 to do that. Yeah, okay, I'm not so busy. I could use $2,000. Well, what God offers you in those relationships is worth far more than $2,000. So what if you just gave it a shot? What if you just tried? What if you're in a group of friends right now, but you just tried to go deeper by being more accepting, by telling the truth, and by not letting go in your current group? Just give it a shot. And if you get to the end of May and it's not any better, like you didn't find anything, it was waste of your time, then Dave will pay you $2,000. <clears> okay, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are our friend that accepts us as is, that you love us, that you speak the truth, and that you never let go. I pray that you would develop that kind of community here in our church. Give us those kind of friends. Make us into people that are those kind of friends. We need your grace. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand to receive God's blessing. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace that comes when you believe the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us this morning. Have a great Sunday.